Welcome to Houseplant Homebody. I'm your host, Holly, and I'm here to tell you all about my favorite thing, plants. Are you ready? Did you know there's even more than just this podcast? Go check out my website, houseplant-homebody.com for even more and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or Pinterest at houseplanthomebodyllc. And as I'm sure you already know, each podcast episode has a corresponding blog post on my website, so make sure you check that out. And do not forget to rate, review this podcast, and make sure you're commenting, liking, sharing, and subscribing so more plant people just like you can find my podcast and social media. You can even help support your favorite podcast, blog, and social media by joining me on my Become a Supporter website page to get exclusive podcast episodes, access to a supporter-only Facebook group, early access to podcasts, and exclusive content. And if you really just can't get enough, I send out a bi-monthly newsletter on the first of every other month, also with exclusive content and some updates on what's happened the previous couple months. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to episode 51, all about begonias. These are some of the most diverse, colorful, brilliant plants out there. It is also one of the most frustrating things to record about because there are so many different varieties, so many different hybrids out there that it's hard to tell which variety was produced from what and where it all stems from. So this one took a lot of research because working in a garden center, I knew about the begonias that you plant in your garden or, you know, in a garden bed or in a container or something that are not usually that bright and colorful in the foliage. It's mostly the flowers. You buy them for the brilliant flowers and that's basically it. So, as I was working in the garden center more, I see more and more of these amazing different colors and patterns and shapes and sizes. It's so diverse. And then, obviously, diving into the houseplant community, these begonias are so popular. The ones I initially dealt with in the garden center with the bright brilliant flowers are almost nowhere to be found in the houseplant community just because that's not what they're used for. So I will definitely be diving into a little bit of all of that, but I want to forewarn you that I am still learning plants as I go as well. So I have a lot of answers, obviously, and I have a lot of skill in taking care of what I've taken care of. And I have so many houseplants because I'm experimenting so I can get you guys the information that you need. So I'll be pulling from my experience with the begonias that I have. I currently have three of them. I got them all in early spring. So I've been dealing with them spring, summer, fall, and obviously now winter. So I can kind of tell you what's been going on with them. So just take it as a grain of salt. I'm not going to have all the variety information because this was really complicated to figure out. All of my books said something slightly different. All of the websites said something slightly different. It's just like the philodendron episode all over again. There's just so many varieties out there that it's hard to depict which is which. So I'm going to go over care. I'm going to go over varieties obviously for everything. The nice thing about what I was finding is it seems like most of the care seems to be pretty consistent. So that's a win because then I'm not explaining like I did in the Clathia episode different care for different plants. Not necessarily. So we're gonna dive in. We're gonna really go into the varieties here. So like I said there are a lot of different varieties. Thousands actually. And 
most of them are hybridized plants off of a couple of main different begonias. So you are going to hear terms like cane begonia versus non-cane begonia. I'm sure you hear rex begonia, angel wing, polka dot begonia. I'm only really going to go into how I found them categorized for the most part on state university educational websites right now, which is fibrous begonia, rhizomatous begonia, and tuberous begonia are kind of the main three that people talk about. Your cane begonia, angel wing, and polka dot begonias, which I mean, let's be real, all of them have some kind of Latin name based on the variety that they are, but there's so many out there, I'm not going to go into it. Those are examples of fibrous begonias. The cane begonia is the real one to think about. It basically looks like a mini tree, but it's not as structurally sound as an actual tree. It looks like it has hard enough stems to it, and that's the fibrous begonia. That's based on the root system, so that's why it's called fibrous begonia, because the root system is fibrous. The polka dot begonia is one of the most popular ones right now because it has polka dots and it looks like it has, the leaves look like angel wings kind of. So they're like very asymmetrical in the way that they're shaped and they have dots all over them. But the polka dot begonia specifically isn't the only variety out there like it. There's a lot of different kinds out there. So this is so confusing, <laughs> but fibrous begonia is that first one, commonly called cane begonia. The next one is the rhizomatous begonia. And from what I'm finding, the most common, well-known begonia in that category is the rex begonia. The rhizomatous begonia is categorized based on how it grows by rhizomes. So similar to how an iris grows in my garden, these begonias grow like that. So they can be divided easily by the rhizomes. Super easy like that. They're a little bit more compact growing than the fibrous or the next one I will be talking about. Again, super dependent on the variety because there are hundreds of thousands out there. So that's the second one is the rhizomatous begonia. Commonly known variety is rex begonia. And then there's tuberous begonia. From what I understand... It's kind of a combination of the tuberous and the fibrous begonia that are used most commonly in planting beds, annual gardening. Specifically, the tuberous begonia, I believe I have seen at every single garden center that you can get. They have like the double blooming flowers. They also have the lower growing begonias that people like to do in planting beds and mass plantings and stuff. So those are the only three categories I'm going to talk about. The cane begonia and the rex begonia, polka dot, angel wing, those are all different varieties that you're going to hear as you're shopping for begonias. So since these are super cultivated and very hybridized, there is very specific names for plants these days. So you're going to most likely see them labeled as just Rex begonia or just polka dot begonia, but you, you may also find them with the exact name. So you might find it as begonia Rex T-Rex because that exists. I have that. <laughs> um, but it, 
most of the time you're going to probably see it as begonia and then the single quotations of the name, which is the hybrid name. So again, I know that's super complicated. I know I'm not going to go into it a ton because there's just so much conflicting information and I don't feel like I know enough about all the different varieties. So I guarantee there will be a part two on this begonia episode when I learn more um, as I continue to buy them because let me tell you, it is addicting when you see one begonia that looks so different from the next, you want all of them. (laughs) And I've been putting an effort into buying new plants I don't have and it has been a struggle to hold back buying all the begonia varieties out there. It's all so pretty. Okay, so that's the basic on the varieties. So we're going to take a quick break here because that was a lot of information. And then we're going to talk about sun and water requirements. Okay. I'd also like to point out that as you know, this is a podcast and I edit it. That whole first section, that was like the first time I never messed up on a section. I just wanted to point that out because it made me feel good. Okay. Moving on. Enough about me. So sun requirements, it depends per variety also depends on whether you're talking about these plants as a houseplant or a garden bed container annual. So as a houseplant, after looking at all the websites and all my books, they do best and they thrive most in bright indirect light. Most of them, from an indoor perspective, can handle and can benefit from direct sunlight. Only some though. There are a couple of varieties here and there that don't like direct sunlight, but most of them can handle it and actually will get a lot fuller from it. But I've had mine in medium light and they've done pretty well too. So it's kind of a mixture of what you want to do. So my plants that are in medium light are kind of leggy and they're not as compact the ones that are in more light are a little bit more compact. So that's like with a lot of houseplants out there, it kind of depends on the environment you're giving it and how it's going to grow. As an outdoor annual that you're putting in your gardening beds or your containers, they need to probably be in light shade and I wouldn't put them in direct sunlight. The sunlight outside obviously is much more direct. Wow, what a creative word. Much more direct and a lot more hot and can affect your begonias a lot different than direct sunlight through a window. It's not really necessarily direct sunlight if it's through a window. So that's why if you're outside, I wouldn't necessarily put this in a blazing hot sun area because it might not do as well there. It needs to be in a little bit of light shade. If you're going to put it in a decent amount of sunlight, I would just make sure you're keeping it moist and watered enough because that's what's going to kill it. It's going to dry out a lot faster in those direct sunlight spots. It could have sunburn if it's also in direct sunlight outside. So that's kind of the sun differences. For watering, whether it's outside or inside, these like to be evenly moist but never soaking wet or sitting in water. So whether you're outside or inside, make sure you're using a well-draining soil And make sure you're using, if you're using a pot, make sure you're using a pot with holes in the bottom, with drainage in the bottom to prevent that root rot and prevent water from building up because they hate having wet feet. 
I read that like five times. <laughs> the other thing that actually I was surprised about, and I shouldn't have been based on how I'm looking at all my begonias, thinking about them, how they're doing. Begonias love humidity. Love it. Thrive in it. I would probably highly recommend doing this because I don't know why I didn't think they necessarily needed it, but they do. To really, really thrive in their environment, they do. So I would give it at least medium or if you can give it high humidity, that's what was recommended in almost every single book and online. So for perspective, I have three begonias. I have two Rex begonias. No, I have four begonias. Oh my God. Sorry, I just remembered another one. I have four begonias. I have three Rex begonias and I have one fibrous begonia or cane begonia. My cane begonia is near my humidifier. The rest of them are spread out throughout the house basically in different lighting, but none of them near a humidifier at all and I don't really miss them at all because um, misting them can cause um, the foliage to get powdery mildew, which is a white buildup. Um, Usually the foliage is a little like velvety, almost soft and a little bit thicker. This is a little more textured than your normal leaf. So putting an extra mist on there isn't necessarily good for it. Anyway, the one by my humidifier, the cane one that I have is thriving. It's doing really, really well. It's also just off of a south window, but it's sitting kind of below the window with a couple plants in front of it. So it's probably getting about medium light and it's just like, it's doing really well. The other ones that are not near a humidifier are kind of sad. That being said, those are all Rex begonias. So I do know for a fact that Rex begonias tend to die back in winter a little bit. So that's probably why they don't look as great now. But I guarantee if I try moving them towards a humidifier or put them in a greenhouse, it might actually work to their benefit. So after this podcast episode is done, I am going to try that and I'm going to move them near a humidifier in the greenhouse something. So basic water requirements, evenly moist, but with well-draining soil because I hate wet feet, medium to high humidity if you can, it's not necessarily a requirement, but I would probably make it a requirement if you are able to, just to really allow your plant to thrive. Okay, so let's go into fertilizer, propagation, and other facts. Okay, so fertilizer is pretty basic. Again, I use Fox Farms Grow Big Liquid Fertilizer. I fertilize in peak season about every two weeks whenever I water my plants. Peak season for me is maybe end of February through October. And then in winter, I probably fertilize two more times, like every month or so. I have been fertilizing the plants that are actively growing that I want to really keep pushing growth on a little bit more often, probably about once a month in winter but that's because I'm trying to get them to grow for my wedding, like I've said before, so that is why I'm doing it. For these, the one book that I found very helpful for the fertilizer side was the Practical Houseplant book, which is linked on the blog post if you'd like to go look at it. It says apply a half-strength feed every two weeks in spring and summer and monthly in fall and winter. 
use a high nitrogen fertilizer early in the season to encourage leaves and a high phosphorus fertilizer later in the season to encourage flowers. So I always say this and I always say that fertilizer is totally up to you. These are plants that do flower and you can encourage flowering on. The Rex begonias don't bloom as consistently or as often as some of the other ones like the cane varieties. So if you want your plant to flower, I would highly recommend consistently fertilizing it. Again, fertilizer is up to you, the type you use, how often you use it. I would always use the recommended amount and time that it tells you on the bottle. Maybe even use a little bit less if you're really worried about it, but that would be my recommendation for fertilizer and practical houseplant books recommendation. So basically what I do in peak season and what I've been doing is probably about right. If anything, I'm under fertilizing. So I am not trying to get mine to bloom. I love them for the foliage, but if you wanted to get them to bloom, fertilizing is probably really important for these. Okay, propagation, pretty simple. Depend Again, depending on the variety you have, you can either do a leaf cutting or stem cutting, I guess, or dividing it. So like by the rhizomes and the tubers, you can divide the plant. By the cane variety, you could do a stem or leaf cutting. So I'm not going to explain those because I'm based on the fact that you guys have probably been listening to this podcast for a long time. You know the difference. But if you have questions, feel free to let me know. But stem cutting or dividing, those are the two main options depending on what you have. Okay, so the other facts aren't necessarily long because I did have a lot of Instagram Q&A and I really wanted to make time for those. So this is part of the Begoniaceae family. Who would have thunk it? And they are actually native to tropical areas of the Americas, Asia, and Africa. The fun fact I found was that there was none native to Australia. I found on a website. No, it was a random website. Um, So I don't know if it's 100% true, but I didn't find it. They were native to Australia anywhere else. So I thought that was interesting. And I did say this earlier, but the begonias do bloom. So your tuberous and your cane varieties are probably going to bloom way more often. The tuberous ones or they're commonly called wax begonias are the ones that are known for flowering. That's why people buy them for their garden or container gardening. So move, leaving them outside and planting them in outdoor areas also really helps them bloom. But if you want your cane begonia inside and you really want to encourage blooming, I highly recommend putting them in as much light as you can, increasing that humidity and fertilizing consistently. The blooms really depend on the type of plant you have. So they range from almost every single color you can think of. Purple, pink, yellow, orange, bright orange, red, white. I mean, literally every color you can think of, they come in. So many different varieties out there. They've made so many different changes to them that you can probably find anything you want. And the last fact is that these are toxic to pets and humans, so just be careful with these. The root systems and the rhizome and the tuberous ones, that part of the plant are more poisonous than the top, but either way, the whole plant is toxic. So episode 31 is all about that, and there is a blog post online as well if you need to look up any plants if you're wondering about them, so that is there. So 
let's get into the Instagram Q&A. I call it the Instagram Q&A, but it's the Facebook and Instagram Q&A. Basically, I just put in my stories a few times a couple weeks leading up to the next episode to see if you guys have any questions about the upcoming episode. Almost always after the podcast episode is released on Tuesdays, I will put a story and say what the next episode is so you can always catch my stories then and post it right in the stories and ask a question for the next episode. But if you come up with a question later on and you're looking forward to it, feel free to message me. I actually had someone do it this time, which was perfect because then I just screenshotted the whole message and I was able to take down all of the different questions that they had. So either way, totally fine with either. Either way, I screenshot all the questions and I save them for when I start the blog post, which then in turn is my script for this podcast episode. So, the first question is, is there a difference in care for cane versus non-cane begonia? So, I think I talked about this briefly, but there really isn't a huge difference. The only main difference that I see is that the cane varieties tend to bloom more often from what I'm seeing than the non-cane varieties. So, if you want to encourage your begonia to bloom, then you may have to alter your care for it in that way. But either way, they like to be in bright, indirect light if possible. They like to be in humid environments if possible. Like to be evenly moist but not soaking wet. So I'm not seeing a huge difference. The other kind of weird kind of different thing, I guess. To me, in my mind, a non-gain variety is like a Rex begonia. So, for example, a Rex begonia's care difference, really, is that they do die back a little bit in winter and they might not look as thriving as just a cane variety of begonia. So, I wouldn't let that scare you if you have a non-care, non-cane begonia like a Rex begonia. I hope that answered that question. Overall, it doesn't seem like there's a huge difference. My begonia maculata makes a lot of new leaves, but most of them fall, and the tips of the old ones are dry. So, just for reference, begonia maculata is the polka dot begonia, um, kind of like the angel wing, asymmetrical angel wing with the dots all over it. They're beautiful. So, and that is a variety of the cane begonias. So, I would recommend a few things if you're worried about the foliage staying intact. This could be a sign of underwatering. Now, it could also be a sign of overwatering. More than likely, if you're overwatering and underwatering, you're going to show similar signs. So, I would recommend focusing on consistently watering your plant, making sure that you have a well-draining soil, so it's evenly moist but doesn't say soaking wet. I would try to increase the amount of light if you don't have it in a bright indirect window, like a like a off of a south window is probably the best place to put it. Or um, honestly, a west window is probably the next best place because that gets the heat of the sun in at like at night, at least in the summertime, you know. Um, I would also increase humidity. So it's just like the 
since your plant isn't thriving, I would put it in a place and give it the care it needs to thrive. So since it's not thriving, my first, my first, first, first initial thought is the watering. Sorry, I'm going in circles. We're going to start here. Watering is important. I would make sure that's consistent. It sounds to me like this could be a sign of underwatering, but again, the under and overwatering can look really similar. The next thing is sunlight. To get that plant to be fuller, more light will encourage that. To produce more foliage, I would make sure you're fertilizing. And not just any fertilizer, I would encourage you to find a high nitrogen fertilizer, which means when you look at a composition of a fertilizer, it's three numbers separated by a dash in between. A high nitrogen fertilizer is that first number. Make sure that first number is the highest number out of all three. That gives you the high nitrogen fertilizer. If you're trying to get to bloom, for example, you would choose a fertilizer where that middle number is the highest. So, fun fact. So, I would also look for a high nitrogen fertilizer because that's going to try to encourage the foliage growth and health. So, increasing humidity could also help, but I don't necessarily think that is the main thing causing this. So, that was a lot of words. It was just my thought process all talked out. So, hopefully that explained it. I would first start with watering then light, then fertilizer, then humidity. Okay, so the next question is how to prevent or get rid of powdery mildew on these guys. So I had a lot of experience with powdery mildew as a landscape plant problem. I have not necessarily dealt with it as a houseplant. The reason is because I am notorious for underwatering my plants. That is the main reason why I kill my houseplants is because... I have too many and one's hiding and it's in a smaller pot than the other one and it needed to be watered a day earlier and now it's dead. So that's why I don't have pottery mildew issues. So I would first make sure you're not misting the leaves and or if it's sitting near a humidifier, make sure it's not getting directly hit by a humidifier. That alone will drop the moisture in the air down and will allow for more airflow around and through the plant and leaves. If that's already something you've kind of thought about and done, I would also make sure that the moisture retention in your soil is not high. So adding extra perlite or adding more of a drainage component into your soil and repotting it, I think is also really important. If moisture is retaining at the top layer of your soil, it's adding that extra humidity in the air around the plant and it could be causing that issue. If it's a true, true problem and you can't seem to get rid of it, I would encourage cutting back the worst leaves and treating the other ones with a fungicide of some sort. So using neem oil, for example, is a possibility. You want to be careful with that because, like I said earlier, misting the leaves, spraying the leaves, getting them wet can cause a problem for them because the actual foliage is a little bit thicker and sometimes fuzzier than other plants are. But using a fungicide like that, if this is really the only option, then you might have to if it's a real problem. So using a neem oil or fungicide or some sort of sulfur included fungicide will help 
heal the powdery mildew that's happening. So that is what I would recommend for that. If you are doing that increased humidity around the plant, I would maybe just stop it for a while. That way you're not spreading the the mildew to other leaves and drying it out might help the spread overall until you get it under control. Okay, so the next question is, how can I get my cane begonias to flower? So this, I believe has to do with sunlight and fertilizer and potentially humidity. So making sure that you are fertilizing consistently and I would use that high phosphorus fertilizer. So using a fertilizer where the number composition has a high number in the middle will encourage blooming. I would also increase light. So begonias flower pretty easily when outside because they're exposed to more bright sunlight So putting it in a south window or a west window would probably be the best places to go or under a grow light, honestly, whatever you need to do would also encourage flowering. I would also try, if none of that works, increasing humidity, just making sure you're creating those ideal conditions for the plant to bloom when it would normally bloom or would like to bloom in its native environment. In its native environment, it's hot, it's humid. It's about medium light, medium to bright light outside. So mimicking those environments is what's going to encourage your begonias to bloom or flower. Bloom, flower, same thing. (laughs) Okay, the next question is how does one know what begonias need terrarium-like conditions? So originally I thought this was kind of tricky, but after thinking about it for a bit and looking into it, I honestly think most varieties benefit from terrarium-like conditions. Terrarium-like conditions meaning high humidity, overall even moisture, and that I think is what defines a terrarium-like condition. You're mimicking its humid environment by having an increased humidity, increasing moisture for the most part. So all of the different sources I have looked at have said that begonias do best and thrive most in medium to high humidity, which obviously a terrarium can give your plant. And most every resource has said that begonias need to be evenly moist, just not soaking wet. So making sure you're watering thoroughly, but allowing it to dry out is important. So I feel weird for saying that all varieties would benefit from terrarium-like conditions, but based on what I'm seeing and honestly what I'm experiencing, that is really okay to be doing that for them. Is it necessary? No. Do you, do I, am I going to tell you that you you need to go put every single begonia in a terrarium tomorrow? No, (laughs) I don't think it's necessary. I think it's based on what you're able to give your begonia and the conditions that you have for it. I mean, being a houseplant parent is so weird because all of a sudden you bring in, you know, in my case, hundreds of plants. You're trying to figure out every single one. Some of them are different than others, obviously. Others are very similar. These begonias seem to be very similar in the way they act, except for the, obviously the Rex begonias look a little sad in winter, but that's the only difference. So putting them in a terrarium might actually help it. So that's something I might change 
I will change after I'm done with this podcast. I'm going to go try to put the begonia in a terrarium and see if it does better. So it's just constant experimenting. If you feel like your begonia is kind of in a weird state and it's not really thriving, try putting it in terrarium-like conditions and mimicking that environment that it's used to in its native area. So long, drawn-out explanation. I feel weird to say that most of them benefit from it, but that's what I'm going to say. And I will live and die by that answer. The only caveat I will point out based on the previous question is if your begonia has powdery mildew, I wouldn't put it in a terrarium because that would make it worse. I think that is, that is the only thing I would think about. Also, aphids tend to um, really like humid environments too. So if it had aphids or something, I wouldn't put it in a terrarium, but that's, that, that's a side fact. Okay, the last question, which is a fun question, <laughs> is do you have a favorite begonia? So, I think this is like choosing a child, you know, for the most part. I'm going to choose a child in this case, but I am a big fan of any Rex begonia. So, I absolutely love the variety of color and pattern and leaf shape that Rex begonias provide. As a landscape plant, I absolutely love the begonias that are the tuberous begonias or the wax begonias because the colors are always so vibrant and I love the foliage. The only issue with those, putting them in a container garden, squirrels and chipmunks love them. They are almost always dead or like chopped off because someone's eating them. So they're really hard (laughs) to keep very well in this area. Um, at least in my experience. And I remember my mom and dad had them too. Um, also the, the fuchsia annual. I don't know if you guys know what that is. Look it up if you don't know what it is. It's really, really pretty. Um, hummingbirds love it. But so do squirrels and chipmunks. We used to put um, stakes in the soil to discourage the chipmunks and squirrels from walking in there. <laughs> I just like, oh. but anyway. Rex begonias are definitely my favorite. And then I love the wax begonias as a container plant, but I really, really, really love the cane begonias as kind of a centerpiece container plant as well, because the flowers can be just absolutely gorgeous on those. So, sorry. Okay, I did say I was going to pick, didn't I? Okay, rex begonia for sure. In general, my favorite, just because as a collector, I love that there's so many different kinds out there and I will probably continue to just keep collecting them as long as I live because they're just so pretty, easy to care for. Moving them outside is great. They thrive. So that's what I'm going to say to that. So that's begonias, everyone. I really want to thank you guys for asking so many questions this time. This really helped drive the conversation and honestly, my research as well to really figure out what you guys are looking for and what you guys kind of already knew. So appreciate that and hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening to episode 51 of Houseplant Homebody, all about begonias. Don't forget to check out the blog post that corresponds with this episode. If you go to houseplant-homebody.com and go to the blog page, you'll find it there. 
Also, don't forget to find me at Houseplant Homebody LLC on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. Make sure you're rating, reviewing, and sharing this podcast along with liking, saving, and commenting on social media. Odds are, if you like this podcast, someone else will too. I love to hear what you've learned from this episode or really anything that I'm doing and your plant experiences. So please share them with me because I love it. Also, you can help support your favorite podcast by joining me on my Become a Supporter website page to get exclusive podcast episodes, access to a supporter-only Facebook group, early access to podcasts, and exclusive content. Your support means the world to me, and I'm super excited to keep bringing you plant bios and information. Also, don't forget to check back every other Tuesday for the brand new episode and blog post. From one houseplant homebody to another, see you next time. Hello, hello. Thank you guys for listening to the 51st episode. Isn't that amazing? 51 episodes in. It's been what? A little over a year and a half with you guys. It'll be two years, I guess, in a few months. But I just absolutely love doing this. This is an episode I was kind of dreading because I knew there was so much information to give you. And I just wanted to make sure I could give it all to you. And I know I definitely didn't even hit a little bit of the variety, but I think I got the gist, which is good. That's exactly what I needed to. It's more of the care that I wanted to provide more anything, and then I'll do a part two down the road when I really understand varieties more, more, and overall better. <laughs> so, um, not a ton of updates here. Peter built me a plant shelf. Some of you might have seen it in my reel on Instagram. I'm gonna make um, a reel about the information in it too, and I'll put it in my stories at some point, but I bought these panel lights off of, um, not off of someone, but I had a person I follow on Instagram. Um, I've talked about her before on here, and I used her images on my Ficus blog. I asked her, don't worry. Um, her name is Colby. She lives in Canada, but her Instagram handle is this is Drover. She's kind of a DIY person. She knows she knows a lot about her plants and she's pregnant right now. So she's going to be a mama soon. And she just got married. She's got a lot going on. She's hilarious. She doesn't take crap from anyone and I love it. So I love following her. Um, but she had bought these panel grow lights to go on a shelf in her upstairs area and I loved that idea because she just hot glued them to the shelf. I mean, I don't think I was planning on doing that, but just the fact that it was so compact and I was really worried about the panel lights heating up too much, but she kept doing updates and then she had a highlight on her story and then I messaged her about it and she shared it again and it was, the, the lights are still doing great. So I ended up going through her Amazon account and ordering them They were about $20 a piece and I had five shelves to do. Main part of the shelf, point of the shelf, I guess, is to grow our wedding plants. So I'm growing philodendron. So like uh, lemon, lime, trailing philodendron, Brazil philodendron, and then just like the plain green philodendron. I'm also growing asparagus fern, but those are doing well on their own without a grow light. But I wanted a grow light for the philodendrons. So this was the main purpose here. And then I also wanted to put a bunch of my smaller trailing plants, like my string of hearts, string of pearls, and everything underneath the grow lights as well. So Peter bought, built me this beautiful shelf. Um, it's about six and a half feet tall. And I put all of the panel lights on there. And I put one 
of those three prong grow lights at the very top of the shelf too. So it is beautiful. It's it's like my plant dreams are on that shelf and I'm already thinking of different places I could do something similar to. Maybe not that extreme, but I am thinking I have the south window that has all of my super highlight plants sitting in it. I could really use an actual shelf over there because I'm currently using a bathroom stand as a plant shelf and then I have like just a cheap metal plant stand that has a my ficus my bird of paradise and my calathea sitting on it and they're all like halfway hanging off of it because they're all getting big and I can see my bird of paradise is just trying to get out of that pot right now it's probably really root bound so I'm gonna have to figure out a solution but I'm thinking maybe we'll make a shelf over there if not I'll have to buy one but anyway the plant shelf is beautiful. If you haven't seen it, you should go to my Instagram stories and my Instagram reels and it's in there. But if you have any questions about it, let me know. But that's kind of the only other plant update. Um, I sent my sister a big long list of plants to buy soon too. Um, I love water farms up in Nina, Wisconsin, which is near her, um, near her in general. And, um, they always have really good plants in very small sizes for the most part. So they're usually pretty reasonable prices. And there's some plants that I wanted to get from there. So one thing that I was hoping to do an episode on soon, but I ended up killing the plant because of pests and underwatering was the Fetisia Jap- japonica, I think it's called, or it's commonly called spiderweb plant. So... I wanted to get another one of those, and I saw that they had them online. So, I was kind of hoping she'd grab one of those. And then there's a couple Hoya varieties that I wanted as well. So, okay. Wow, this is just a rant of my plants. This is what I do to my sister when I'm talking to her on Snapchat. I just send her a bunch of plant information. She probably doesn't understand half of it, but she loves me, so she listens to it. So, you guys are going to listen to it. <laughs> okay. Well, that's all I have. Um, the next episode is going to be about banana plants. So if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me about that. Otherwise, I will post it in my story a few times to see if you guys have any questions. That episode will come out on February 1st. All right. Until then, I'll see you guys on Instagram and Facebook. Otherwise, have a good week. Bye-bye.